Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about BetOnline.ag. The Final Four is set in basketball's playoffs, and BetOnline Sportsbook has you covered with all the odds, props, promos, and parlays for the conference finals. Use our promo code BLEAV, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use the link in the description to this episode. BetOnline, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast, live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast, and podcasts aren't live. It's the whole purpose of podcasts. You can listen however and whenever it is that you so choose, and we appreciate that you have decided to stop in however and whenever it is that you may be choosing. We've got a fantabulous Friday show coming at you today. No guests, no topics, no structured segments here. Today's one of those days I talk about this all the time on the show. Some people go to the gym for 45 minutes a day and work out. I throw on the microphones for 45 minutes a day, and I'm really good at sports radio and also am a 160-pound scrawny dude. So today's one of those days where we're just going to throw on the microphones and talk a little bit of basketball. The Boston Celtics and the Miami Heat are playing Game 5 of the Eastern Conference Finals. At the time of recording, it is 18-5 Boston leading against Miami, and we're going to watch the first half of this game live on the show because I've been doing morning radio all week in Sacramento. If you want to listen, Sacktown Sports YouTube channel, you can look that up, check it out. I'm on 6 to 10s. There's archived videos also. If you look for the Carmichael Dave show, you can see me, hear me, engage with me. And because I've been doing sports radio and waking up at 4 a.m., I haven't had time to structure any podcasts or put together any shows in the past couple days. So today I just want to throw on the microphone and watch a Miami Heat-Boston Celtics playoff game because sometimes that's just the most fun thing we can do. And also, we haven't really given this series, I think, the proper respect it deserves. Like, we've broken down the holy hell out of Denver against the Lakers. And I shouldn't say we haven't done a great job of analyzing this series because Adam Armbrecht, who joined the show on Monday, if you want to check out that episode of the podcast... Adam Armbrecht did an in-depth breakdown of this Celtics and Heat series, and a lot of the content that he's talked about is held up, especially as Grant Williams has now become a playable 
guy off the bench for the Boston Celtics, and that wasn't really the case earlier in the series. Matchups have started to dictate that he plays more, and the Boston Celtics shooting has come back at the end of the series, which is something that Adam talked about. It's a great episode. Would recommend you check that out as well. Also, by the way, before we get into Miami and Boston, because I forgot about something I was going to mention off the top, we did an episode on USC yesterday on the show, and we talked about Mike Bone and him being fired once the LA Times questioned him about a toxic workplace, and the LA Times released a lot of their investigations into his time at Cincinnati, and then got about a dozen sources from USC to talk about the toxic workplace he oversaw during his time at USC. And after he resigned last week, The Athletic, led by Bruce Feldman and a couple of the great college football investigative journalists over there, they started poking around at Cincinnati and USC. They uncovered some details on what was happening with Mike Bone and his time at USC. I don't want to do a full podcast on that because... A lot of what we talked about came out yesterday on the show. You can check that out with the link in the description of this episode. But I did want to just touch on the article that came out by Bruce Feldman and company. It's linked in the description of this episode. It's a really good piece. It's the follow-up reporting that we talked about with the LA Times. Maybe the LA Times will have a more comprehensive report coming out sometime in the next couple weeks. But yesterday on the show, I said, hey, there's going to be a time when... Reporting is going to come out on this that validates or confirms a lot of the stuff like this. And so that reporting came out literally within 24 hours, really within 12 hours of us releasing that podcast on Thursday. So I linked the athletic story in the description of this episode if you want to read more about Mike Bone. And I recommend that you listen to the show that we did yesterday on USC because it's a really complex and intricate story with a lot of layers to it. And uh, we broke that down last uh yesterday on the show transition Miami Heat Boston Celtics that's what I wanted to talk about don't really have a transition so I'm just gonna say transition 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 okay cool now we're back to Boston Celtics and Miami Heat by the time that we are recording this it is 26 to 11 Boston Jason Tatum has 10 first quarter points And the Boston Celtics have held Miami to 11, despite the fact that Jimmy Butler averages 10 points in the first quarter during the postseason so far. The Boston Celtics have held the Heat as a team to 11 points with about three and a half minutes to go in the first quarter. So, yeah, Boston is going to win the game like Charles Barkley said and like Vegas was predicting, because Boston was eight and a half point favorites going into this game, and... Vegas was betting heavy on the Boston Celtics to win the game outright. They were, If the Miami Heat won this game outright, Vegas would take a bloodbath and they would lose a bunch of money. I think like 80-something percent of the bets were on the Miami Heat. Jason Tatum just threw down a vicious dunk, by the way. Just cocked it all the way back. No contest for Miami. Just slammed it. So yeah, Boston is... Uh, up 15 points in the first quarter. I'm sure they won't blow this lead, right? Right, right, right. I'm sure they won't blow this one. This series has been super interesting because I was prepared to come here and do the Boston Celtic eulogy the same way we kind of did the Laker eulogy last year. And look, we've already talked about Joe Mazzulla's future when they were down 3-2 to the Philadelphia 76ers. 
I don't think anything we've seen in the last five games for the Celtics has really disc uh, like has made what I said about Joe Missoula not true, which is like. Joe Mazzulla is going to be a head coach again in the NBA by the time he's 40. The Boston Celtics just have such a good team, and they can clearly get better coaches out there because, again, I could defend them moving on from Mazzulla, and I could defend them keeping Mazzulla. There, there are good points for both, and Joe Mazzulla is not a bad coach. It's just Boston has a ready-made team to win now, and they would get their pick of the litter on coaches, and there's so many good coaches available right now that... I would defend them moving on from Missoula, admitting they made a mistake giving him the full-time job, and then going and getting Nick Nurse or going and getting Monty Williams, even though it seems like Monty Williams isn't really interested in being a head coach right now, or maybe they go out and get Mike Budenholz, like whatever they end up choosing to do instead of going to get Nick Nurse, or instead of keeping Joe Missoula, there are defensible options all over the place, including keeping Joe Missoula, and... I don't think anything has really changed in the last five games or so that changes that. But I was prepared to come here and do the Boston Celtic eulogy, and now it looks like we might come back Monday with a Game 7 between Boston and Miami, which at that point, ooh, we got to get Morgan from Australia on the show to come chat about that. Boston's in a really interesting position because Boston could, should, would, whatever you think about the Celtics, could, should, would be up three games to two in this series if the series followed what you might think of as a normal script between a two seed who has clearly been the better team all year against an eight seed who yes beat the uh, Milwaukee Bucks in a shocking upset in the first round also made the case for is a better team than the New York Knicks and has consistently proven over the last four years that they are better than the New York Knicks because the New York Knicks were a little bit of an anomaly making it this far in the playoffs this year. So the Miami Heat getting to this point was a massive success and we talked about how much of a massive success that was and then Miami going up 3-0 in this series was kind of wild because if this series were two games, like everyone thinks this series has been crazy and wild and it might lead to the Celtics being the first team to come back from down 0-3 to win an NBA, to win a series in the playoffs. It could happen. It's a very plausible possibility that we're coming back on Monday and we have a game seven in this series. And so I don't want to do the short term analysis because those podcasts never age well. This one might not age well because we're going to finish recording this before halftime is up in this game. So... What I think is so interesting from the the Celtics standpoint is if this series were 2-2 and the Celtics were beating the crap out of the Miami Heat on their home floor in a game five, that would feel kind of normal. And I know it's weird to say like, quote unquote, normal for talking about a Boston Celtic team that has been down 0-3 in this series was ready to give up because it seemed like Jimmy Butler had straight up broken their spirit. Like, we talked about that on Monday and a little bit on Tuesday, where it was like, or I'm sorry, on Wednesday, where it's like, what do you mean Jimmy Butler just stole their soul? Like, just straight swiped the soul of the Boston Celtics, where they're down three games to zero and... It looks like they're going to Boston or they're going to Miami for game four to just end their season. And what was so remarkable about that is 
in the span of about four days, it feels like that hasn't really happened. And look, Miami might end up winning this series, but it's going to start to feel like Miami is surviving this series. And if Boston had been 2-2 instead of down 3-1 and beaten the crap out of Miami, nobody would have blinked an eye. Nobody would have blinked an eye at a two seed against an eight seed in a 2-2 series. The two seed who has clearly been one of the three best teams all season coming and a team that went to the NBA finals last year coming out and just beating the crap out of the Miami Heat, the eight seed. So that's what feels normal. And then you bring the context back into the series and the series has just been so topsy-turvy up and down. You have comedic Jimmy Butler swiping the soul of the Boston Celtics where the the Grant Williams gets in his face and then Jimmy Butler hits a shot over him and gives him the two small and then they go on a 22 to 9 run to win a game 2 in the garden and it would have only been more perfect if they're stomping on the lucky charms logo at the end of the game this series has just been like cartoonishly like the things that you talk about with sports and rivalries like it has been cliche to a point that is almost cartoonish like it has been cartoonishly comical how this series has gone for the Miami Heat and Gabe Vincent being out probably changes the way the basketball side of it works it's just so fascinating to watch that happen in real time and we're just observing like a series that doesn't make sense and yet if you just change one result starts to make a little bit more sense in our minds as we're doing the basketball prognostication and trying to find a parallel for what we've seen now from the actual x's and o's basketball standpoint of uh, call it this series this game whatever you want to point to Boston Celtics been burying those three-pointers ever since the first three games of the series. And look, we can point to like, oh, the stat of Jason Tatum hasn't been... Jason Tatum went the first three games of the series without making a shot in the fourth quarter. He hit only free throws at the end of that series. Or sorry, at the beginning of that series. At the end of game one, the end of game two, and the end of game three. But if you zoom out on that, the Boston Celtics have shot, I believe, under 30% as a team from the three-point line. And the Boston Celtics' best three players beyond Jason Tatum, which I would argue the three best Boston Celtics beyond Jason Tatum are Jalen Brown, Malcolm Brogdon, and Al Horford. Between the three of them have shot... I want to say under 25%. Let me validate this uh, this number here. So Al Horford from three-point land in the first three games of the series was three for 13. That is about 22%. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon, who again, we now know Malcolm Brogdon's playing through an injury. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon began the series three for 12. That's 12, uh, 25% exactly from the three-point line. And Jalen Brown from the three-point line for the first three games of the series was 2 for 20. That is 10% from the field. So not only are they collectively below 20% or 25%, each of them individually is 25% or lower. And if I'm adding those numbers up doing quick math, so 3 and 12, 2 and 20, that's 5 for 32. Then when you factor in Al Horford, who in the first three games of the series was 
so 45, 3, 15, 4, wait, no, that can't be right. So 3 for Al Horford, Malcolm Brogdon hits 3, and Jalen Brown hits 2. So that's 8 for 45, which adds up to doing quick math, quick math, quick math, adds up to about 18%. So 18% from the three-point line is what the two, three, and four best players on the Boston Celtics were shooting in the first three games of the series. And the Boston Celtics shooting has transformed in the time since. I mean, not for Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown's still playing like trash. He's two for seven from the three-point line in the last two games, and he only took two three-pointers in the game after that. Uh, We mentioned Malcolm Brogdon has been playing hurt, but Al Horford has ended up going in the last... Uh, he was five for eleven in their two, in their um, or sorry, he was three for six in game four, and five for eleven in the last two games. He hadn't taken any three pointers yet in the uh, in the game five. We're recording this. The first quarter just ended. By the way, the Celtics are up thirty five to um, thirty five twenty at this point. Uh, Derek White hit three three pointers in the first quarter. And Derek White, well, Derek White's actually been shooting the lights out in this series, but specifically Derek White, who hasn't somehow hasn't scored more than 16 points in a game. I think he's going to break that in this game because he's already got 11 in the first quarter. But I mean, God damn, Derek White, uh, Derek White bearing three straight three pointers. Boston went seven for 12 from three in the first quarter. They have they were plus six in the turnover margin in the first quarter. The Boston Celtics had been absolutely incredible to start the game from the three-point line. Again, shooting over 50%. And they are good enough that even if they regress to the mean in this game, and unfortunately for them, the mean has been kind of around 30%. So this could be a dramatic drop-off here. Let me just, doing the quick math here, if they were to fall down to 30% from three after hitting seven of their first 12 they would have to miss 13 consecutive three-pointers. So yeah, maybe if the Celtics miss 13 consecutive three-pointers, the Miami Heat will get back in this game. But they could go two for 13 from the three-point line and still be able to hold off the Miami Heat. Now, they wouldn't win comfortably, but they would be able to hold off the Miami Heat just going two for 13 the rest of the way. And I think that three-point spark is what fueled the Celtics to beat the Bucks last year and what helped them I don't want to say it helped them beat the Sixers because so many things had to go wrong for the 76ers like it was a little bit different in the Jason Tatum hero ball aspect of their victory against the Sixers because remember they were losing at halftime against Philadelphia in that game seven so I don't think that that was the reason why they ended up beating the Sixers in the first place Last year, when they were at their best, it was shooting spurts that ended up changing the game against Milwaukee in Game 6. Milwaukee in Game 7, when Grant Williams was hitting all of those points. Grant Williams was hitting everything from... Grant Williams hit those seven three-pointers in Game 7 of that series... In the Miami Conference Finals last year, they had multiple games where they shot over 40% from the field. I can't remember which games anymore because it's a stat that we're throwing out from last year, but 
when Boston was at their best, they had these spurts of three-point shooting. In game one of the NBA Finals last year at Golden State, the Celtics had over 40 points in the fourth quarter. Al Horford hit four three-pointers, I want to say, in the fourth quarter. They started out that fourth quarter of game one. I remember doing a podcast after this because it was so stunning. In the fourth quarter, the Boston Celtics started out shooting nine for nine from the three-point line. And because they were a team built on defense, and they still have a really great defense this year, it's not as historically good as last year, but as a team built on defense, who I, Dan Lebitard brought this up and I thought it was a great point, they kind of ruined Robert Williams' body. Because I was saying in the playoffs last year, Robert Williams is going to be the third all-star on the Boston Celtics. And by the way, right as we're talking here, Jalen Brown buried a three-pointer right out the gate in the second quarter. So now eight for 13 from the three-point line. If they wanted to shoot 30% from the three-point line, they could shoot one for their next 17, and they would still be shooting 30% from the three-point line, which again, not ideal. At the same time, 30% will be probably good enough to beat this Miami Heat team in this one game. It probably won't win a series, but it will be good enough to beat this Miami Heat team. Grant Williams just missed a three, so now one for 16. If they hit one of their next 16 three-pointers in the time we're on this podcast, they will be at their average for the playoffs, and they will probably win this game as Duncan Robinson hits a three-pointer for Miami. But what was so interesting is, yes, they ground up Robert Williams' body a little bit, and yes, the Boston Celtics are a team still built on defense being their strongest point. They're, again, not the best defense of all time like they might have been last year. Missed three-pointer, one for 15. They're not the best defense of all time like they were last year. And at the same time, because their team is built on defense, these like unique shooting spurts are the thing that has sustained the Boston Celtics. We've seen what happens when the Celtics don't get those shooting spurts. I mean, they have struggled in, a, in most of these series, I mean, they were in game six against the Atlanta Hawks in the first round. They were down to a game six in Atlanta, losing in the final two minutes of the game before they went on. I think it was like a 14 to three run to close out the Hawks. And look, they are a better team than the Hawks. That's what you would expect. But that series went on about a game and a half longer than it probably should have for the Boston Celtics. And that's because... Without those shooting spurts, there isn't a go-to punch for Boston. And I don't want to get into the semantics of a Jason Tatum conversation because if you look back at Jason Tatum's best games, they're only over the last two seasons, like since I was saying, and Morgan from Australia loves joking about this, since I was saying Donovan Mitchell was a better player than Jason Tatum. Since I have been saying that, I can think of, by the way, missed three-pointer Al Horford, one for 14. They got to go to stay in this game. Jalen Brown pulls up from three, buried it. So there you go. There's their one three-pointer. Jalen Brown's got two. After I just talked about Jalen Brown shooting two for 20 to start the series from three, he just buried two three-pointers in the first three minutes of the second quarter. As Jason Tatum has developed into this superstar, and the Celtics have gone from being team who fought to get to the conference finals, came within one game of the finals when it was Tatum's rookie year. The Boston Celtics of the last two seasons, with Jason Tatum being their superstar, have had th- have had two games I can recall where the difference between winning and losing was Jason Tatum. 
There are games where offense has been the difference between winning or losing, but like Jason Tatum's incredible offensive performances were in essence what I would call overkill. Like game seven of the the Eastern Conference Finals, Jason Tatum putting up 51 kind of overkill. Like they won that game by 30. If Jason Tatum had put up 32, they would have won that game comfortably because the Sixers, there were a myriad of factors that contributed to what ended up happening in that game. Like, just from the quantitative standpoint, I know basketball isn't purely quantitative, but from the quantitative standpoint, there are two games I can recall where Jason Tatum's offensive performance was the difference between winning and losing for the Celtics. It was game six of the second round against Milwaukee, and it was game six of the second round against the 76ers. Jason Tatum's offensive explosions often come with the spurts of offense. And by the way, Al Horford just buried a, I think they called it a two, but just buried what looked like a three-pointer for the Boston Celtics, like a deep, deep two-pointer where I think his foot was on the line. So they're just burying three-pointer after three-pointer. With these offensive spurts for the Boston Celtics, you have seen Jason Tatum be a part of those spurts instead of just the, we need a bucket, we got to get a bucket. And that game six in Milwaukee, of the conference finals last year with Milwaukee up 3-2 was one of the most incredible Jason Tatum performances I've seen because it was like, we need a bucket, Jason gets a bucket. Miami, uh, Milwaukee goes on a run, Jason gives us a bucket. I think there was one game in the Eastern Conference Finals last year where Jason Tatum might have made the difference, but as far as I can remember, I think the Miami Heat... Okay, so there was the game where they were up 13 in Game 7, but then gave the lead back. But if I'm looking back here, their average margin of victory in that series was... Yeah, looking it up here. So the average margin of victory for the Celtics was 25 in Game 2, 20 points in Game 4, 13 points in Game 5. And then the Game 7 win was only 4 points, but remember, they were up 13 with 3 minutes to go, and then they they gave the lead back by almost choking that thing away in historical fashion, by giving up 13 points in 3 minutes, and Jimmy Butler got a shot to win the game. So, last year, I did remember correctly, like their margin of victories in those games were 25 points, 20 points, 13 points, 13 points. Again, the final score was closer because they gave it up at the end, but they were up 13 points with three minutes to play in that game seven. So you're talking about margins of victory in the 15 to 25 range for the Boston Celtics. And so the Celtics are in this unique position where Jason Tatum becomes a focal point of what they do in offensive explosion. And I don't think of a team uniquely like that. It's why I think the Boston Celtics are such a unique team and why if they do win a championship this year, I think they are... On paper, the best team remaining in the playoffs, I know I've said the Denver Nuggets are going to win the championship, and we've doubled down, tripled down, quadrupled down on that over the past couple months, but like the reason I think the Boston Celtics will end up being that team at the end is because Boston is uniquely qualified to go on these offensive explosions and just even down 3-0 outscore the Miami and and losing at halftime. They were down six at halftime in game four against the Miami heat. And after shooting as a team under 30% and shooting 18% from the three point line with their two, three and four best players uh, being Malcolm Brogdon, Jalen Brown and Al Horford, they're uniquely qualified to third quarter 38 to 23 run. And they put the game away in game four with that 15 point quarter. And 
in this game, they're up 48-30 to start the game. And against the Philadelphia 76ers, it is a 71-30 run in the second half. Like, there's just these unique stretches where when the shots start falling, they've got so many players that can hit shots and create shots that they're just offensive explosions completely transform the way they play. And that's why when they went to the finals last year, Game 7 against Milwaukee, absolute blowout. Average margin of victory in the conference finals, 20 points. Again, 25-point win, 20-point win, 13-point win, and in Game 7, they were up 13 with three minutes to play. Like, these just gigantic offensive explosions are what propel Boston because they are a team built on defense, and they can anticipate, for the most part, holding teams in that 100 to 115 range. You're not going to see a 130-point game out of any of their opponents. Even last year when the Miami Heat... Uh, took them to seven games in the conference finals. It was 118 in game one for Miami, then 102, then 109, then 82 in the game that they lost by 20, then 80, then it was 111 in game six, and it was 96 in game seven. And even this year's Boston team, which again, like I said, not as good as last year's Boston team defensively, holding Miami to... In the, in the series so far, even in Miami victory. So 123 in game one, I think that one was a bit of a... Uh, uh, in this series, actually, no. My point is incorrect. The Miami Heat have scored over 120 points twice in this series. My, my point was incorrect. Boston is not that offensive team. Just before we go here real quick, and again, it's uh, 47 to 32 right now. Uh, with the Celtics up by 15 and Duncan Robinson trying to propel the Miami Heat because Boston's defensive game plan is don't let Jimmy beat us. Don't let Jimmy beat us. The entire game plan is don't let Jimmy beat us. Um, Let me look up what the Boston Celtics finished in defensive rating this season, and then I'll go to StatMuse for their playoff statistics. Uh, The Boston Celtics in the regular season were... Fifth in opponent points per game and third in the league in defensive rating. Uh, best. So they were third in defense this year. Like I said, the best. I didn't know what the exact number was, but very good defense. Um, and just not as historically great as last year's team. Uh, let's look up the defensive ratings in the playoffs according to NBA.com. The defensive rating for the, uh, let's see, the best defensive rating was Cleveland, who's already gone. So of teams that made it to the second round of the playoffs, the Boston Celtics, so of the eight teams that made it to the second round of the playoffs, the Boston Celtics are seventh out of eight in defensive rating. So the New York Knicks are ahead of them, the... Golden State, uh, the only team that's worse than the Celtics defensively who made it to the second round of the playoffs is the Phoenix Suns. And that's interesting because even the Sacramento Kings were better, obviously a smaller sample size than the Celtics, but the Celtics have been not a great defensive team in the playoffs with a smaller sample size. And that's really interesting to think about because my assumption had been the Boston Celtics were this team who was built on defense and so these offensive spurts were what gave them their their advantage 
And uh, that is not the case. The Boston Celtics have not been a great defensive team here in the playoffs. And yes, they're up 11 right now. As I say this, the Miami Heat have slowly started creeping back. They're uh, down 11, Horford for three, missed it. Jalen Brown put back 13-point game now, 49-36. Boston Celtics haven't been a great defensive team. This this changed up my point a little bit because what I was thinking with Boston is like, Boston works in these offensive spurts. And look, we've talked a lot about Boston here. Miami Heat, the best thing I can explain is basketball voodoo, man. Basketball voodoo is the, is I just can't explain how the Miami Heat can shoot under 25% from three and under 35% as a team and win a basketball game by 20 points. Just basketball voodoo is the best explanation I can find for what the Miami Heat are doing. It's just absolutely ridiculous. The Boston standpoint, their offense works in spurts and Jason Tatum is often a part of those spurts. It's why they go. It's part of why they go on these gigantic offensive runs. And it's interesting to see that pick up here in game five. And since we might be headed for a game six and game seven situation, maybe Boston is in a position where they can come back in this series. It's going to be really interesting to watch, especially because it looks like they are on their way to winning. And I know it's a little early and I know that the Miami Heat are only down 10 points and they practice basketball voodoo. So let's just put a pin in that and say, by the time you're listening to this, I fully acknowledge the Miami Heat may be in the NBA Finals. But it's interesting to see Boston potentially win this game five with the shooting coming back in the same way it did in the third quarter against the Miami Heat, which was the exact formula for how they beat the Bucks in last year's playoffs how they beat the Heat in the um, in the conference finals last year. Because remember, they they didn't just beat the Heat in the games they won. In the games they won, they blew the fucking brakes off the Miami Heat. 25 points, 20 points, 13 points, and then they were up 13 in game seven with three minutes to play before they choked it away. But they were up, they got up 13 points with three minutes to play. 45 minutes into that game, they were up 13 points. And so... The Miami Heat find themselves in a uh, the, the Celtics find themselves in a position where because they're not just winning games, they're dominating these games. They won by 17 in game 4 and in the f- third quarter of that game while trailing by 6, they went on a 38-23 run where they outscored them by 15 points. That was basically the difference in the game because again, they won by 17, outscored them by 15 in the third quarter. When that's the quarter that wins the game against Miami and they play even basketball the rest of the way. And in this game, they start out on a 35-20 to 20 run. And then from the way it looks right now, they play pretty close to even basketball the rest of the way. They can win a series that way. They can win four straight games that way. They can pull off the 0-3 comeback by playing that brand of basketball. It's not ideal, because ideally you would be able to have a go-to guy who can get you a bucket any game against a team that's been a middle-of-the-pack in defense. Team defense among teams that made it to the second round of the playoffs. The Miami Heat are fourth behind the Knicks, Lakers, Warriors. They come in as... Oh, they're actually tied for fourth. Interesting. So they're tied with the Denver Nuggets for the fourth best defensive rating among the eight teams who made it to the second round of the playoffs. And against that defense and against that team practicing basketball voodoo, the Boston Celtics can potentially get a victory and why I think Vegas has had a problem predicting the Celtics and why I think everyone's had a problem predicting the Celtics in this series 
is because they are so they're unique, but it's an explainable uniqueness of how their team works on offense. And because we've watched them enough over the years, we're starting to under, and because it's been the same core of the team over the years, we're starting to understand some of their tendencies a little bit better, but that doesn't make it easy to explain how they just disappear at times playing the brand of basketball that they play. So perhaps they have the strength to win this game five via their offensive shooting streaks. And perhaps they have the ability to go on and win a 3-0 comeback against the Miami Heat with a 38-23 quarter in the third quarter of Game 4, a 35-20 quarter to start off Game 5. And even though Jimmy Butler just got a steal and hammered the ball on Marcus Smart and drew a foul and hung onto the rim to avoid falling down, even as all of that has taken place and the Heat trail by 12, looks like a good chance they'll win this game five and looks like a good chance the Boston Celtics are going to potentially come back from down 0-3. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. We got episodes every single day, Monday through Friday, as well as Wired Up on Sundays, leave a five-star review, a download, any and all support is greatly appreciated. And we appreciate you continuously supporting our dreams. If we have something interesting happen in this game six, potentially coming up this weekend, maybe we'll come back on and do a Wired Up this week. Or if there's a big news story, maybe we'll come back and do some Wired Up here. But if not, then we'll talk to you on Monday. We've got an archive of episodes you can go back and listen to, thousand a thousand episodes, some from this week, some from this last month, some from last year. You can always check out any episode that piques your interest. Most of them have aged pretty gracefully here on the Take It Easy podcast. So we appreciate you stopping in. We'll talk to you on Monday. Enjoy your weekend, or maybe you're listening on Monday, in which case we'll talk to you tomorrow. And in the meantime, take it easy. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.